Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good evening, and welcome to the Commonwealth Club of California. My name is Khalidiv Chaudhry, and I'm here to moderate a panel discussion on peace between Pakistan and India. A special welcome to all of you, including our online participants. This program is a focus on South Asia from the Asia Pacific Affairs Forum, chaired by Ian McQuaig. This event is being recorded and live streamed on the Commonwealth Club's YouTube channel and will be available for download later on on commonwealthclub.org. Thank you for joining us. We encourage you to become a member of the club and to learn more, visit the club's website. The Greek historian Herodotus once said that sons buried their fathers in times of peace and fathers the sons in times of war. There's a corner of the world where fathers have been burying their sons for the past 75 years. That corner, once called the most dangerous part of the world by Bill Clinton, is a border between India and Pakistan. In 1947, British India was partitioned into Pakistan and India. Unresolved questions from the partition has led to multiple wars being fought. There have been numerous peace talks, which in some cases have actually exacerbated the conflict. And unfortunately, no long-term resolution has been found and an uneasy peace prevails between the two countries. Complica complicating these issues has been the emergence of the Great Game. In the, old in the old Great Game, it was Imperial Russia's efforts to reach the warm weather ports of the Arabian Seas. The new Great Game is China's access to Middle East oil. 40% of the world's oils flows to the Straits of Malacca. It provides a bottleneck which can be controlled by a strong navy. To bypass this, the Chinese have embarked on their own great road-building efforts, making its way to the countries of Asia and beyond. They're reviving the old Silk Route. Part of this route makes its way through Kashmir and into Pakistan, into a port called Gwadar, which is on the Arabian Gulf. China sees this as an opportunity to encircle India, a potential rival in Asia, and keep it on the defensive. And Kashmir, which contains both the headwaters of the great rivers of South Asia, and the trade loots linking China to the Gulf is key. Therefore, Pakistan, with China's support, is confident it's dealing in any peace talks from a position of strength. And India, with its own right-wing government, will see any flexibility on its part as a sign of weakness. The United States is determined to contain China in any way it can, 
And meanwhile, the search for enduring peace between the two countries continues. Helping us understand the various sides of the issues and the conditions required for peace are two former ambassadors and two journalists. Abdul Basit served as the Pakistani High Commissioner to India and its ambassador to Germany. Anuradha Basin is the executive editor of the Kashmir Times and is currently a Lyle and Corian Nelson International Fellow at Stanford University. Nirupoma Rao served as India's Foreign Secretary, Ambassador to the United States, Ambassador to Peru, China, and a High Commissioner to Sri Lanka. And Bina Sarwal was a Neiman Fellow at Harvard University who founded SAPAN or the South Asia Peace Action Network along with other peace activists from South Asia. Welcome to all of you. But before I jump in, a reminder, if you have any questions for any of our panelists, please post them on a YouTube chat box. These questions will be forwarded to me throughout the program. And if you're live in the auditorium, please submit your questions on the written question cards. Well, let us begin. Ambassador Bassett, you're the proverbial rose between three thorns. <laughs> in, recent, uh, in recent interviews, you have not been very optimistic about peace, saying that you don't see a silver lining in peace talks between India and Pakistan. Could you care to elaborate? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim and uh, thank you very much uh, for having me on the panel and I'm looking forward to an interesting and meaningful discussion. Uh, uh, yes, I do not see, uh, really do not have much hope now left, uh, especially uh, post uh, 5th August 2019 uh, decision by India uh, to abrogate the special status of the of Jammu and Kashmir, uh, because uh, this uh, fateful decision has been taken by India and it has added more complications to the bilateral equation. So we are sort of, you know, uh, are in a cul-de-sac and uh, we do not see as to how our bilateral engagement can work. So, uh, and since uh, Pakistan uh, in uh, uh, reaction to that uh, decision, which, by the way, was also uh, against, not only against UN Security Council resolutions, but also against the uh, India's own constitution, as a matter of fact, and also against India's uh, Supreme Court ruling of 4th April 2018, in which it was very clearly stated that uh, the special status of Jammu and Kashmir could neither be amended uh, nor can uh, Article 370 uh, uh, in the Indian Constitution uh, be removed. So India, uh, I think that now the two countries uh, are uh, in a situation where, in my view, the bilateral engagement would not really deliver. Uh, what the two countries need is, is a third-party mediation. I know India is averse to this word, but uh, we need to work out some arrangement whereby the two countries uh, behind the scenes 
uh, and you know engage uh, and try to resolve the the longest standing in my view as i have been telling all my indian interlocutors that jammu and kashmir is the real issue between the two countries since 1948 yes we do have other issues like terrorism and siachen and sarkreek but uh, the genesis of all these problems uh, is jammu and kashmir so unless and until we the two sides are willing to resolve this issue in accordance with the aspirations of the people of jammu and kashmir i do not see as to how uh, the two countries can live in peace uh so and then uh, you very rightly mentioned there are regional dynamics there are new global dynamics and both countries are trying to position themselves according to their own respective interests so we are in a difficult situation and as i said uh, we would need a third party mediation at some stage because we have fought wars we have tried to have confidence building measures in place Uh, we also engage a back channel diplomacy but nothing has so far delivered in real sense of the word so this is what my take is uh, on this particular uh, problem thank you uh, thank you ambassador basit now let me turn to you secretary rao is kashmir the real issue in other words if the kashmir problem were to be solved do you think the problem between india and pakistan go away or would there be others Uh thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak at this uh, distinguished forum. Uh I think one of the speakers just before me talked about an uneasy peace uh, between India and Pakistan. I uh, would uh, like to qualify that statement and say that more uh, or less than that we have an uneasy equilibrium between the two countries. and the reference to the great game in the title of this conversation today i think um, is a little misleading i would suggest that we speak about what happened in 1947 with the great partition of the subcontinent of india and the ensuing inability of both our countries to live together and this is of course been compounded by political differences 75 years of independence in both countries hasn't really changed things animosities have only deepened and intensified now the question is um, you asked me about kashmir and uh, having listened to ambassador basit i just cannot help uh, Uh, coming to the conclusion that when both our countries speak, and especially both um, uh, former public servants uh, like him and me uh, participate in discussions like this, sometimes we tend to sound like broken records. And I think uh, the task here before us is to examine how the two countries can restore engagement. between themselves because engagement is an essential tool of diplomacy and it involves both our countries it doesn't involve third parties it doesn't involve multilateral organizations it really devolves upon us that is the responsibility when you spoke of herodotus and about fathers burying sons i think you hit the nail on the head the responsibility really is with us Unfortunately we've politicized the everyday and Kashmir 
the question you raised lies at the heart of it. Now, the question here is not about what India did or did not do. Um, Ambassador Basit spoke about the revocation of Article 370 and uh, the, uh, uh, the so-called fallout of that. Let me say that when you talk to any Indian, regardless of the political uh, constituency that he or she may belong to, I think everybody is united in their, in their judgment that Jammu and Kashmir remains an integral part of India. Yes, there is a dispute between India and Pakistan on this question. And there is need really for both our countries to sit down and resolve this. Now, India has genuine problems about the whole process of engagement with Pakistan. It's not for want of trying between the two countries. And I think successive governments of India through the years have attempted to pursue engagement with Pakistan. And I think we've had some unfortunate experiences in this regard. And that has really turned public opinion in India. And I'm talking about public opinion across the spectrum. I am not talking of political parties or constituencies. There is a genuine feeling within India that our attempts to engage with Pakistan have come to naught. And at the bottom of all this, at the foundation of all this, has been the issue of terrorism. And we can talk about this later, but I believe that this issue really has to be addressed and from the Indian point of view, it has to be addressed from Pakistan's side. And I don't believe India is, has shut its door on engagement with Pakistan. It's not that. I think between the people of our two countries, there must be peace. And peace continues to be our dream. But let's look at new ways of tackling these problems. Let's not just dwell on old shibboleths and old formulae. I think we owe it to future generations in both our countries. Thank you, Secretary Rao. Uh, in that case, Anuradha, I turn to you as a resident Kashmiri. Is Kashmir used as a convenient tool by both sides to avoid talk of peace? Yes and no. Um, I mean, Kashmir, I would say, has been both a cause and a consequence of um, the India-Pakistan hostility. And uh, it is also the main, uh, one of the main bones of contention and uh, two, uh, three wars that uh, India and Pakistan fought were over Kashmir. Um, but uh, do they use it as an excuse? I, I think sometimes they do. Sometimes there is also these, uh, because of how Kashmir is located, uh, its geographical location, its strategic location has evoked or triggered uh, security concerns, maybe misplaced to some extent, in both the countries. And that is one of the key uh, trigger factors, which is why they tend to look at, uh, and even as the narratives of uh, India and Pakistan on Kashmir are very, very different, um, and, and the way they take a moral ground and a moral positioning on Kashmir is very different. But the key factor is that for them, Jammu and Kashmir is more like a, pe uh, a piece of territory. Mm -hmm. It is about controlling. It is about securitizing 
rest of their countries. It is about also now, for so many years that it has been going on, it is also about using it for their political convenience and their political narrative. It's never been about people. There are 14 million people living in Jammu and Kashmir on the Indian side alone. And if you add, I mean, so we are really talking about more than 20 million people. Do they really exist in that uh, scheme of things? Um, and um, I, I think uh, I would definitely say go with uh, Abdul Basit uh, on the fact that after 2019, things are much more complicated uh, and makes it even more difficult for India and Pakistan to engage with each other because uh, India has stripped um, Jammu and Kashmir of its um, special status. But let me throw it back to him. It was in 48 through the Karachi Agreement that a slice of Gilgit Baltistan a slice of Jammu and Kashmir, which is Gilgit Baltistan, was taken and merged with the rest of Pakistan. So there is already a certain kind of precedent in which uh, Kashmir has been dismembered again and again. And that should not make it an excuse to not engage on the issue. Because without engagement, without dialogue, um, there can be no movement forward. You can you can keep sitting back and saying, okay, this is my position and I'm not going to cross the line. I'm not even going to go near the net. And the other side also keeps saying that I don't think things are going to move. So even if you have to talk about um, restoration of the pre-2090 position, if you want to talk about terrorism, where, which is a concern for India, um, I think both need to sit together and talk. That's the only way things are going to move. Thank you, Narada. And in, please, in consideration of others, let's keep, just keep answers brief because we have quite a few points to go over. Bina, I'll give you the choice. Uh, the question, who benefits if there's no peace between India and Pakistan? Lots of people benefit without when there's no peace between India and Pakistan. Most of all, the security establishments of our countries, the arms and ammunition dealers uh, around the world, not just in our, in our nobody talks about them. Um, you know, the manufacturers in Germany and uh, Sweden and, you know, elsewhere, other countries, America. Um, but who benefits when there is peace? I think is the question to be asked. And that is the people, the 1.8 billion, is it, uh, in, the, in the subcontinent, which is a quarter of the world's population, uh, the, the people, and I just want to add to something Anuradha said, um, you know, the formulation, uh, the Pakistan-India People's Forum for Peace and Democracy, in its very first convention, this is the largest people-to-people -people group between the two countries that has been going on since 1994 and 1995, in its very first convention, the formulation on Kashmir, and Radha, correct me if I'm wrong, was something like Kashmir is not, should not be seen as a piece of real estate between India and Pakistan, but a matter of the uh, rights and aspirations of the Kashmiri people whose views must be taken into account for any dialogue between India and Pakistan. And this was in uh, almost 20, 30 years ago. 30 years. Right? And um, so I'll just, uh, you know, right, that's answer you. a brief question. It does. Question. Thank you. Uh, Let's move on to a different subject because both Ambassador Basit and Secretary Rao have brought up terrorism. Uh, it seems that every time there's a path towards peace, an event occurs that derails the process. And much of the terrorism, unfortunately, does emanate from Pakistan. 
state and non-state actors. Bina, let me stay with you. Has Pakistan paid an internal price for terrorism? I mean, you know that it has. We Everybody knows. We have paid like, um, we've lost, um, I don't know how many thousands of people to terrorism. And that's continuing right now. Security personnel, non-secure civilians. But I think the other uh, point to consider is that if there was peace in the region, then that question of terrorism would also be, you know, um, I think, resolved to an extent. Because who are you fighting then, you know? So Ambassador Bassett, in that case, I turn to you. There have been numerous attempts at peace talks. Uh, the most notable one that I can think of was in 1998. Uh, but very quickly, in 1999, there was an attempt by the Pakistani military to sort of militarize the whole process. So my question then to you is, every time th- with this talk of peace, an event occurs that derails the process. What is your view on that? First of all, let me respond to Anuradha because uh, she mentioned uh, Gilgil Baltistan. Gilgil Baltistan has never been merged with Pakistan. It continues to enjoy spatial status. As a matter of fact, a political map which was released by Pakistan uh, in November, December 2019, it very clearly showed Gilgil Baltistan as a disputed territory awaiting a plebiscite in, in Jammu and Kashmir. So Jammu and Kashmir is still not merged with Pakistan. Secondly, uh, uh, we talk about, uh, you mentioned that 1998, 1997, as a matter of like both the countries were involved in putting up, you know, putting together a a, a dialogue uh, framework, uh, which subsequently, you know, became the composite dialogue process between the two countries. And then in between, after the two countries conducted nuclear tests, the Kargil conflict happened. Uh, People talk about the Kargil conflict, but they forget that it was India which uh, was in breach of the similar agreement of 2nd July 1972. Had similar uh, not happened, the Kargil would not have occurred. Uh, because it was India which uh, tried to change the ground realities by capturing the Siachen Heights. So uh, Kargil could be justified. As far as terrorism is concerned, Pakistan too, we too have, you know, uh, strong concerns uh, uh, when it comes to terrorism. Uh, uh, And then we do have... uh, a, a joint mechanism, anti-terrorism mechanism, which was established back in 2006. But it is India, which unfortunately, I, I, I can give you many, many examples, for, especially, you know, Uri, uh, in which uh, 19 Indian soldiers were killed in September 2016. Pakistan immediately offered uh, bilateral investigations, international investigations into that incident. But it is India which never uh, responds to Pakistan's suggestions. As a matter of fact, even when Samjhota Express blast occurred in on 18 February 2007, uh, India immediately blamed Pakistan without uh, carrying out any investigations whatsoever. So unfortunately, uh, India also uh, kind of, you know, uh, prevaricates on the issue of terrorism. And we do not know how to address these issues. Uh, we know that how India has been involved in trying to destabilize Pakistan through Afghanistan, uh, also in Balochistan, 
Uh, and you know, I was in India when Prime Minister Modi addressing a rally on the 15th of August 2016, where he openly kind of mentioned Balochistan and as to how, uh, and then I, I, I'm privy to those details in which, uh, as a matter of fact, Mr. Ajit Doval, the incumbent National Security Advisor of India, is uh, on record having said that Balochistan uh, uh, is one area where uh, India would not let Pakistan uh, I mean, Pakistan can face problems uh, in Balochistan. So I think on, on, on the issue of terrorism, Pakistan is, is, is really concerned what India is doing. And we know how the global, the great game is being played out. Uh, we know that the uh, U.S. is not uh, uh, in favor of uh, Pakistan becoming part of uh, BRI or uh, Pakistan uh, or the CPAC, you know, goes ahead. Uh, we know how India is opposing uh, CPAC, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. So all these issues are there. And uh, as I said in the very beginning, uh, I mean, we are not against engagement. No sane person in Pakistan uh, would uh, demur against engaging with India because we all understand it is in our interest. But the question remains how? Because India has been using the bilateral engagement to consolidate its occupation in Jammu and Kashmir. It is as simple as that. So we do not know how to get out of this whole situation. That's why, you know, my um, I have come to this conclusion now that uh, the two countries need some help from the international community in order to reach at some modus vivendi uh, and, you know, a permanent settlement rather than engaging and then disengaging, we take one step forward, then we come back to square one and nothing really moves forward. So there is huge frustration in Pakistan as well. So I hope that India gets out of his hubristic uh, uh, stance against Pakistan, that Pakistan has become irrelevant, we do not need to talk to it, we are now in a different league. Yeah, it is correct that India is rising economically. It has increased its clout over the years. But that does not mean that you can ride roughshod over, over the aspirations of the people of Jammu and Kashmir. This is what I, uh, this is what my take is on the entire issue. <clears throat> Thank you, Ambassador Basil. Uh, Secretary Rao, your chance to respond to the terrorism. Yeah. And please Thank keep you. brief, please, in the interest of time. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not here to address a press conference on this issue. So I'm talk basically as a private individual, as a citizen today. And uh, war cannot be justified by any definition. I understand that. There is no rationale. And we are here to talk about peace and how we can resolve the problems between India and Pakistan. So I'm not going to go into the history and I'm not going to point accusing fingers. These are This is not an occasion for that. And I think we have to rise above that. There are genuine problems in the relationship and we have to engage with each other. We have to address these problems. And uh, I don't want to indulge in a slanging match. I'll just say that. I think when it comes to terrorism, India has been a victim. Pakistan must understand that. Secondly, yes, there is a huge asymmetry of power between India and Pakistan today. And uh, I don't think Pakistan should blame India for that. I think Pakistan has to look inwards 
into what really went wrong with its own development, with its own uh, politics, with its own devolution of power. These are all issues I think that Pakistan has to address. I think there has to be a genuine soul searching within Pakistan on these issues. I don't think either of our countries can leave each other or turn our backs to each other. In the ultimate analysis, we owe it to our people and to the people of Jammu and Kashmir to resolve the problems between ourselves. But please don't, I don't think this is an occasion to point accusing fingers at each other. And I think as far as the rest of the world is concerned, I think they've heard, they've seen this movie before. They've heard these this refrain before. And I think we're here to talk about the future. We're here to talk about what we can do to resolve these problems. Thank you, Secretary Rao. Uh, moving on. Uh, you've, uh, let's talk about the role of China. You've written a book about China. You've been ambassador to China. What is the, talking about outside powers, what is the role of China in this peace process? Is this constructive? Is it hindering? Your perspective, please. Well, I'm sorry to say that China has never been constructive. And uh, more than that, it's been hindering. I don't think it has risen uh, to the occasion uh, to speak with responsibility and to speak with wisdom on these issues. Maybe at some point in our history, when I researched the book, I think China was prepared to look at the problem as something that India and Pakistan needed to sit down and resolve between each other. But today, China's position is very different, and it's tried to create a three-front problem within Jammu and Kashmir. As you know, it is in occupation of territory in Ladakh, in the Union Territory of Ladakh. And we have a problem uh, of confrontation between our two countries on the line of actual control. So the problem has only got more complex and more convoluted, let me say, as with the passage of time. To answer your question, I don't believe China has really played any role uh, and in terms of where, if you're going to define it as a constructive role, I think it has, it has not helped. It has actually hindered. Thank you, Secretary Rao. Ambassador Basit, let me touch on that subject with you because you brought up the China-Pakistan economic corridor. There was a recent report that was published that showed that that actually led to the current account deficit more than double in the trade between India and Pakistan to over $14.4 billion by the, end of, of, by the end of September of this year. Pakistan has been let down by its allies before. What is your take on China's influence in Pakistan? China and Pakistan, it goes without saying, we are, I mean, we have a strategic partnership and that uh, relationship is moving from a strength to a strength. Uh, uh, there is no question about that. But I can tell you that in the past, uh, the Chinese have been uh, kind of advising Pakistan to uh, even, you know, to the extent that Pakistan should be uh, uh, putting the Kashmir dispute on the back burner in order to engage with India. They have been advising us to have tr more and more trade with India, uh, work on uh, uh, confidence building measures in order to have a conducive atmosphere whereby then subsequently the two countries might be able to uh, resolve this, this difficult dispute. So this has been Chinese position over the years. Uh, and I still believe that China would very much like to, like Pakistan and India to sit across the table and uh, resolve 
uh, on bilateral problems. But the question is, as you know, it is said, it takes two to tango. Uh, yes, this occasion is not to, to engage in a slanging match. I fully agree with Ambassador Rao. But the question is, we need to underline the fundamental issues which continue to hinder or stymie uh, Pakistan-India relations to, 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 to get not to, to, be, to be normal relations. You know, that is what we are trying to do. But unfortunately, all those seems to have been closed. Uh, and uh, uh, that's why, you know, I, I suggested that now that uh, we are in a very difficult situation, perhaps we would need a third party help, international communities help. Uh, both the countries uh, have failed over the last 75 years to resolve their bilateral disputes. As a matter of fact, we added more disputes uh, mm-hmm. uh, to our relations and uh, rather than resolving them. So if this this continues, I'm afraid we will go nowhere and we'll continue discussing these matters. Uh, so the question is whether there is any desire in New Delhi to solve the Jammu and Kashmir dispute. I can assure Ambassador Rao that all other issues are peripheral in my view. Uh, if you today up, resolve the Kashmir issue upfront, the issue of terrorism, uh, everything gets resolved for itself. <laughs> Because the the main uh, the, the the bone of contention would be removed, uh, and this is what my take is. Uh, uh, and uh, let's hope that uh, the big powers, uh, including China, uh, yes, I do understand that China is also one of the stakeholders in the Jammu and Kashmir dispute. Pakistan, there is a third March, second March, nineteen sixty through Pakistan. China border agreement in which we uh, kind of conceded some territory to China. Uh, and there is an issue of line of actual control between China and India. And those is- that issue also needs to be resolved in order for South Asia uh, to achieve, realize its uh, economic potential. Uh, South Asia is, you know, one of the regions in the world which does not have more than 5% of intra-regional trade, unfortunately. Look at the European Union, ASEAN, other regional organizations. And the basic, the fundamental reason for this is the hostility which exists between Pakistan and India, unfortunately. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Basit. <clears throat> so, Anuradha, I now turn to you. Both Secretary Rao and Ambassador Basit has talked about creating an atmosphere. In India, the Modi government has built a very successful platform of Pakistan bashing and implicit Muslim baiting. Given that atmosphere, how difficult will it be to build an effective atmosphere for peace or a people-to-people bridge, in your opinion? A lot depends on uh, the leaderships of the two countries, how they are going to sell a kind of peace agreement. They have The leadership needs to have a certain faith, a certain belief in peace, and they need to take that initiative. Unfortunately, today we do not see that happening in India because we have a government, we have a person leading the country whose ideology not positioned that way. Um, and where um, the lines between the Muslim and, the, and, and Pakistan and terrorism are getting more and more blurred, and it is becoming more and more difficult, not just for peace, but even within the country to um, 
create some kind of a some kind of a constituency for peace in fact the polity within india today is becoming more and more divisive and that that that's something to worry about um i i feel uh, you know uh, mr baseta has talked about uh, a third party uh, mediation whether it's third party or it's the two countries making an effort on their own unless there is an initiative and statesman like uh, approach within these two countries with the, by the leaders of the two countries i don't think we are going to make any headway even with a third party intervention which may have the third party may have their own interests at the end mm. of the day thank you uh, so bina i now turn to you with a different perspective uh, madhya afsal of the brookings institute was recently quoted as saying that there were two pillars of pakistan one was a reliance on islam and the other was an anti india given that perspective is it possible for any pakistani leader to emerge from that cauldron to pursue peace with india well actually that's uh, i think slightly misleading because there is a consensus in pakistan for peace in india it already exists every single political party that has come to power has had india peace with india as part of its uh, manifesto um who, who have, so that that uh, constituency is very much there unfortunately the events of uh, 5th august 2019 that uh, anuradha and uh, ambassador basit talked about um the then government at that time took the decision to not engage with india and cut off all ties and trade with india um because of its action on kashmir and i think that probably any sensible person would agree that when you cut off all ties when you shut the door on dialogue then how do you move forward so unfortunately that um that is still a policy policy part of pakistan's policy to not engage with india unless they resolve kashmir so that is like how do you move forward then because india is not about to move forward to resolve kashmir so then that means that who's who, the it's the people of kashmir that are thrown under the bus in this whole situation um so i think that uh, and i think uh, as ambassador rao said it's time to move beyond the blame game and who did what and that what we call tutu meme mm-hmm. in our country you know like tat tat just like pointing fingers and all that and think about the people have people centered policies which is not the case right now they are both sides are engaged in a kind of a high high on their own high horse and uh, engaged in trying to blame the other side and i think that um we really need to build a consensus the other really important piece of the p- situation here is that of the media you know and as journalists we both know and as we are part of media as well but we also can see how the media has been part of the problem how media bo- on both sides are not building any kind of um, th- there's no uh, talk about peace or the the they they're furthering the um narrative of bigotry and uh, hatred and conflict and um the social media uh, aspect has completely you know added more uh, muddied the waters even further so that the negative spreads very fast and in the meantime we don't know how many people here or who are watching online or whatever would know that there are people in india who are not muslim who have been really working uh, tooth and nail they've been fighting for the rights of kashmiris there are so many groups that have been working for that they granted they're small but in that atmosphere they've been working for that um but we don't hear about them and pakistan chooses not to highlight those groups either 
because it goes against the Pakistani narrative of the Muslim part of it, because many of these people are not Muslim, like you know Arundhati Roy, for example, or um, the uh, the Kapil Kak, or you know like people like that. So, thank you, thank you, Bina. So, Secretary Rao, I now turn to you and the role of economy. The new Indian budget was recently released. There was obviously increased investment in defence and infrastructure, but turns out social programmes were the most affected and depleted. Given that India ranks near the bottom for all sorts of social indices, like child hunger, even in South Asia, how long do you think that India can afford to maintain an aggressive posture on these borders? Yes, thank you. Uh, well, I uh, I sit here in India. I live uh, in uh, the city of Bangalore, and I am witness to this huge energy and dynamism that you see across the face of India today. In many ways, I think this is uh, our second uh, f- freedom in so many ways because numbers of people lifted out of poverty, the rate of growth of the economy. The fact that there is this, people are consumed with this desire of progress. So let's let's put that in context. And I speak here as somebody who who is on the ground, who witnesses this happen, happening every day in our cities across the face of this enormous country. And I I think yes, there are people in poverty that still need to be lifted out of it. We have to address issues of human development. I don't deny that. No country is perfect, but let me say we're a robust democracy. We are a very robust, vibrant democracy. And I think that is something that Pakistan can learn from also. Pakistan has been divided as far as its power centers are concerned. And we know that the role of the army, the role of the inter-services intelligence has all been a very potent and somewhat, I would say, let me use the word malevolent force as far as, you know, the destiny of that country is concerned. I just don't speak of India-Pakistan relations in this context. And when Ambassador Basit speaks about the need to resolve the issue of Kashmir, I don't think India is shying away from the question of resolving the issue or talking to Pakistan on this. Mm. Let us be practical. Let us be pragmatic. Let us be realist. I think we're all agreed that in international relations and foreign policy, we have also to look at what we can do as first steps. We haven't spoken ever, and I've dealt with Pakistan on so many occasions in the course of my career. And I've always felt, Ambassador Basit spoke of South Asia. Yes, South Asia is meant to be an integer. We are meant to be more regionally integrated. We're the least integrated regionally of any uh, part of the world. We have a problem there, as and uh, you know we really do have a problem. But how do we address it? I've seen how SARC meetings have con- been uh, been conducted. We've always had issues of you know I don't know whether it's a lack of confidence on the part of Pakistan or just this innate suspicion about cooperating with India, even on issues like education, on issues of health. Mm-hmm could have done so much more, for instance, in fighting COVID and in doing, uh, you know, helping each other. But we really weren't able to do it. But I think because of these innate suspicions that exist, yes, in Pakistan and also to some extent in India, 
I don't believe this is the time to accuse our leaderships of what they have done or not done. I think in all fairness, Prime Minister Modi started out with a genuine desire to reach out to Pakistan. And I think I don't want to uh, go into the examples of what we did, but I think there, there was a genuine attempt to establish leadership level contact to deepen mutual confidence. But I think the, the sequence of events after that destroyed India's confidence in the process. And once again, let me come back to the central issue that the people of the country, the people, the majority of Indians feel that the pursuit of peace and engagement and normalization with Pakistan has not yielded success because of what we've experienced from Pakistan in terms of the reaction. And it has a lot to do, I think, uh, because of the the machinery and the process and the structure of power within Pakistan. So uh, I think even as we talk of the economy and we talk of, you know, how we need to progress, let me say India is taking care of itself very well. And I think the people of the country seem united in their feeling that great things are happening within the country. And I do, I speak as a dispassionate observer. I have no political agenda I am a retired citizen, but I see this enormous energy and dynamism around me, and I feel very, very heartened by it. Let me say. Thank you, Secretary House. Bina, now turning to you, and sticking to the role of economy. The news from Pakistan is even worse. Pakistan is in serious risk of defaulting on its debt, and not for the first time. Uh, what price for this aggression? Say that again. What price for the aggression? What price for this continuing build-up of the military? Well, I mean, that is very obvious. I mean, we spend um, a very large percentage of our GDP. I'm not sure exactly what the last one was, but on much more on, ed on military um, expenditure than on education or health. And I think that has to change. Um, I think that is, I, I like the, I like this talk about South Asia that both the um, ambassadors have talked about because uh, while Pakistan's um, figures for military expenditure and health are, and education are not good, they are reflected pretty much across in the region and all the countries of the region don't spend enough on health and education and spend much more on security measures, on, secure, on the security establishments. Um, the, uh, I think that one of the biggest prices that, well, I mean, uh, in terms of uh, as a regional entity, like uh, Ambassador Rao said, it's meant to be regionally integrated. And Ambassador Basit pointed out that only 5% of interregional trade takes place. Uh, I think it's like something like $23 billion is the current interregional trade between South Asian countries, which is really abysmal. And the it is like the potential is like at least $67 billion. This is according to World Bank figures from 2016. So, and one of the things that uh, that is not happening in terms of being regionally inter integrated is that people aren't allowed to travel and trade. We conduct our trade via the Middle East um, or, or other countries, which is ridiculous. Um, and um, the energy uh, situation that you talked about earlier, or several people here mentioned that. At one time, I remember India was going to be, uh, was willing to um, help Pakistan. There was a, a businessman in India, um, I forget the name, but they were going to help Pakistan um, resolve its energy uh, ele with electrical production, electricity production, and that didn't happen. Something again, like you said, um, you know, like whenever something good starts to happen, some kind of incident happens, whether it is internally internal or whatever. And 
people are not given visas. I know one guy, one gentleman, who uh, whose mother was uh, he's from Hindu uh, uh, Rajput uh, from Tarpakar in Pakistan, whose mother was in uh, in Jodhpur across the border in India, just barely three hours away by drive drive, and he couldn't get a visa five times. He applied at the time that I wrote about his story, and then he finally got his visa after the eighth time. But by but then his mother had died. And these kind of things, the price that people pay for this intransigence of not allowing people to visit the visa situation, even people here who are Indians and Pakistanis uh, or Americans of Indian and Pakistani descent find it hard to get visas to each other's countries, um, you know, to, to the countries back home. And this is the price. I mean, this is something, what can we do? What can we do? Well, first of all, open the visas. Why are you making the people pay this price? We have this enmity between China and America, or, or like this tensions, right? Nobody has stopped that. The trade between China and America continues. Chinese people continue to live here. There are, I know people who have adopted Chinese babies, you know, here in America. But in, between India and Pakistan, you can't even go across the border if your mother is dying. So switching the subject, and not all is gloom and doom. We are speaking of people-to-people -people ties. There are many which areas. are not allowed. <laughs> yeah, we meet in third countries. We can only meet in third countries. So, there, but there are many areas of commonality between yes. the two nations. Yes, they're very strong cultural ties. Pakistani dramas are very popular in India, and Hindi films are obviously very popular in Pakistan. There are concerts that take place. There are places to pilgrimage, exchange of knowledge. Anuradha, to you, how mm -hmm. does it apply? to peace and to the people of Kashmir? I think immensely. Cultural exchanges are one thing and they're very, very important because there's a whole lot of bonding. And, and, and if I think in India, uh, I, I'm from the north, so uh, for North Indians to identify with Pakistanis is much, much easier than identifying with somebody from South India because it's a very different language. Um, it's the same kind of culture and uh, same kind of food, same kind of love for music and um, yeah. all Poetry. cultural activities and their shared spaces. But apart from that, I think people have other kinds of vested interests and there needs to be a public opinion building on that, <clears throat> that they have a vested interest in peace and their involvement is going to further uh, help any kind of uh, peace process that starts between the two governments to sustain because they have a vested interest in trade, they have a vested interest in so that the military spending is much less and there is more spending on, uh, say, education, development, hospitals, health, which all of South Asia today craves for. Um, I think, and, and, and the problem, however, today is it's not just disconnectivity. I just, if I may just add, take half a minute. It's not just that visas are not being allowed, but because of the visas, the flights between mm. India and Pakistan are not operating. The last time that I flew, I flew via Dubai. It doesn't make any sense. And even phone calls um, in JNK, uh, in, in Kashmir on our side, we cannot call. Uh, there's no direct uh, dialing facility to Pakistan. And if people get calls from Pakistan, you may face interrogation. This is the situation. Thank you. So, uh, Secretary Rao, very quickly, please. Is people-to-people -people contact a catalyst for peace? Definitely. I think people-to-people -people contact is a catalyst for peace. 
and i think if you if you look at the whole uh, history of india pakistan relations i think it's quite clearly established that people to people linkages conversations uh, better communication better uh, infrastructure to link both countries nobody disputes the need for that but i think if you place an obstacle in the bilateral interaction by saying you need to solve jammu and kashmir first before you can do anything else in the relationship it's just not going to work it's not practical it's not realistic you have to build a superstructure of a normalized relationship before you tackle the really difficult problems and that's not just happening and i think uh, you know having heard ambassador basit i believe that within the establishment in pakistan there just doesn't seem to be any any transformation of attitude on these issues so let me say i think we need to open a new chapter let's start with small steps and through that process build more common ground thank you secretary rao so we are coming near the end where we we're getting questions from our audience but in 30 seconds or less i will let each one of you answer because we are in the united states ambassador basit let me start with you what can the united states do Let me first, you know, for, uh, Pakistan is not against people-to-people contacts. Even after 5th August 2019, Pakistan allowed, you know, the Kartarpur corridor to, uh, I mean, to inaugurated that and for Sikh pilgrims. Uh, we find, you know, an inherent contradiction in India's position. On the one hand, India tells us that India, that Jammu and Kashmir is an integral part of India, uh, and on the other hand. <laughs> it says that it is ready to discuss jammu and kashmir so hence you know there are problems and there are many things which do not make sense when it comes to pakistan and their relations but what can the so united I, but what can the united states do in pakistan the united states can rather you know play a constructive role rather than making uh, india a part of the quad uh, which is which is introducing new dangerous dynamics into our region uh india has a cold start doctrine which is again you know makes south asia a very dangerous place as you know india violated pakistan's airspace uh, post balakot a uh, post uh, pulwama attack and violated our airspace and pakistan reacted on the 27th of february 2019 so you know uh, india needs to uh, revisit reflect introspect uh, and uh, and you know pakistan and the us can encourage india uh not just towards resolving the, the bilateral disputes particularly you know especially the jammu and kashmir dispute i'm sorry i'm coming again and again to jammu and kashmir sorry ambassador basu you're running out of time you're running out of time and i yeah. don't think you're answering the yeah. question so, so let me turn to you bina no. uh, what can the united states do to promote peace in the region um i think the united states might want to first look inwards and promote peace within the united states and uh, <laughs> social justice peace and all that because when the united states starts to tell people about democracy and to improve their situations well then you you look at what's happening here i mean yes they can be more encouraging and they can encourage i think they can encourage dialogue but i think uh, i think i would just like to say that there's a lot of dialogue that needs to happen uh, between our countries between inter between the regions in the in within our countries and also like um, through the united states i suppose they can encourage more dialogue I, I, that's 
I mean, but I, I would I would just say that if at the same time they would introspect and also look at social justice issues here, they might be taken more seriously. And rather, role of the United States. I I, I agree with uh, uh, Bina. And uh, to add to that, I I think there's a role that the diaspora can play instead of. Yeah. Um, you know, sharpening the cleavages between the two countries and communities uh, back in South Asia, I think they can play a more constructive role, a more... Uh, Secretary Rao, can the United States play a constructive role? Uh, well, let me first say that India and the United States are trusted strategic, global uh, strategic partners today. That is one point. And as two democracies, I think there is a unanimity between both of us that we need to build bigger and better relations between the two countries. As far as the India-Pakistan factor is concerned in this relationship, as someone was saying the other day, the Indo-Pak has been replaced by the Indo-Pas, which is the Indo-Pacific. And uh, really speaking, uh, you know, it's not a question of, uh, of uniting against China, but uniting in order to strengthen democratic forces that speak of a rule-based international order. And therefore, when I speak of the rule-based international order, I believe the United States would like to see peace between India and Pakistan. It does not seek to interfere in this process. And I think the United States itself has come to realize over the last few intervening decades what the threat of terrorism emanating from uh, the uh, the Afghanistan-Pakistan region has been. In the United States itself has been a victim to this. And I think, I think that has introduced a new element as far as the United States' approach to this region is concerned. I'd leave it at that. Thank you, Secretary Rao. So we have a question from the audience that talks about climate change, perhaps the way of uniting the two countries, the Bina, Pakistan's Sherry Raman made a big splash in the last climate talks. She argued the large floods in the subcontinent were due to climate change. Could that be a primer for driving the two governments together? I think not just the two governments, but the whole region. At the South Asia Peace Action Network, we had a, we've had a couple of sessions on this, on the need for talks about climate change and environment. And again, Kashmir comes... Uh, into the picture because that is the source of the, all the waters, at least in Pakistan and also the major rivers in India. And it, these, are, uh, these are things that affect everybody, that affect the world in the end, you know. So definitely these are, this is something that people can, uh, that they can come together and talk about. So uh, we have a few minutes left. Uh, Ambassador Basit, one quick question. Every time we see a photograph of you in India, you're always laughing and joking and chatting up uh, the beautiful women and actresses in India. Uh, has there been any missed opportunities? <laughs> has there been any missed opportunities in the past for peace? I think there have been many missed opportunities. Briefly, please, thank peace. you. Uh, many missed opportunities. But let me, you know, add here: uh, India, US can help us. Let's begin. If not Jammu and Kashmir, why not to make Siachen a peace park, as was suggested yes. by Pakistan back, you know, twenty yes. years ago. So let's begin with that. If India has any problem with uh, talking on Kashmir, let's begin by making Siachen a peace park. And that will, in my view, go a long way uh, in, uh, in creating a better conducive environment between the two countries. Thank you, Mr. How about you, uh, Secretary Rao? Uh, you've been at the forefront of the uh, foreign policy establishment of India for a long time. Miss opportunities for peace in the past? 
I think there have been a lot of missed opportunities uh, for better relations between India and Pakistan. As I said, our responsibility here is not to go into the blame game. I think we need a future-oriented approach. And I think uh, we need uh, genuine efforts to be made to restore engagement between the two countries. But, you know, let us not impose conditions on the resumption of dialogue is my, is my advice Let's start with small steps. And I think trade and better communication are of utmost importance and a dialogue between different sections of the population, particularly the youth. And I think that is really the forward orientation that we need today. Yeah. Thank you, Secretary Rao. So we are at the stage of a talk. We have time for just one last question. Uh, and Anuradha, do you see a 100-year peace treaty path that will allow each region on both sides to heal the wounds from partition? Yeah, definitely. Peace, peace is a process. It's not going to happen overnight. But uh, I agree, you know, you can begin with a smaller framework um, and, and build up on that because the smaller framework is going to create conditions that are conducive for peace. But there has to be a certain commitment on both sides unconditionally that, yes, we will discuss all issues and all contentious issues. I, I think that's the way to move forward. Bina, do you see a 100-year peace treaty path? Between the Absolutely. First, let people meet. Let people open the visas. Let, it, let there be soft borders. Let the, let's think about, as, as one of my mentors said, Dr. Mubashir Hassan, why can't we have a South Asian Union or a South Asian Federation like the European Union or like uh, America, Canada? Or, uh, you know, if, if France and Germany can, uh, after centuries of enmity, uh, have open borders, soft borders, allow trade and travel and be part of a, a federation, why can't? Why can't we in South Asia, uh, instead, instead, of, instead of which the borders are getting harder and harder, but I really think, you know, I agree completely about the need for small steps. Siachen Peace Park, great idea. Let's start with the low-hanging fruits. Let's, like, let people meet. That is, I think, I would really, really appeal if America can do one thing, that is if they can prevail upon the foreign ministries of both sides to allow people to meet, please. That is really, really so key. And there is so much pain of the divided families, of the women who are married across borders. Your, in your family, there's you know, people who are bought, married across the border and how, how painful it is. And when somebody is ill or dying or there's a wedding or something and you can't, you know, you, you have to apply months ahead for a visa and even then you might not get it. It's just, it's incredibly painful and the youth I think I completely agree we need those youth exchanges which we used to have at one time and the the youth you know uh, and and the, the the youth of the of the of the region they are already ex con uh, talking via social media why can't we let them meet physically thank you Bina so we've reached the end of the discussion our thanks to our participants we also thank our audience here for your thoughtful questions now this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California in its 121st year of enlightenment discussion is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org slash donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. 
Thank you for listening and for your support. 